Hey everybody, welcome back to Noggin Notes. I'm Jake Wiskirchen, the host, and we sure do appreciate you downloading our content and listening to it. Also, please share it around because it really helps everybody when you hear inspiring stories like the one we're about to hear today. A longtime buddy of mine, Danny Heinsen, who I've known since, uh, well, long before two decades ago, he uh, he's a brain cancer survivor, and he's celebrating his 20th year cancer-free. And so he talks a little bit about that and about the foundation that he started and about his journey, and it's really, really cool. So I think you're going to really have have some fun with this one. I, I like listening to Danny. Uh, he's, he's inspiring. Uh, it's encouraging. It's a motivational message, and um, just all around good stuff. I think I think we need more of that in this this day and time as we're moving through the pandemic and whatnot. So, uh, as always, uh, our show is sponsored by Zephyr Wellness. If you have not yet learned about Zephyr Wellness, you should. It's a company that I co-own with my co-owner Lindsay Bell in Reno and Sparks, Nevada. Check out ZephyrWellness.org to learn more about what we do. And also follow us on the social media channels, YouTube for sure, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, absorb some free content. Pass it around to your friends. Uh, we, we just give it out because we want the world to be a better place. And speaking of making the world a better place, you can educate yourself through Audible. Audible is another sponsor that we have. If you go to uh, audibletrial.com slash notes, you can get a free 30-day trial complete with a free audiobook download through Audible. And if you're not familiar with audio content and uh, you've just only known page-turning books like of the physical kind printed on, uh, you know, pulp uh, manufactured by paper plants, maybe check out the digital version. You can play it through your Bluetooth. You can listen through it through your, uh, to it through your headphones on a mobile device, a tablet, in your car, wherever you happen to be. And it's a great way to learn stuff. So you can improve your mind and expand your noggin by going to Audible and accessing their completely unmatched selection of audio content. AudibleTrial.com slash noggin notes. Get a free 30-day trial. Keep your book even if you decide not to continue. And you'll be helping yourself out, helping us out, and helping to make the world a better place that way. Without any further delay, this is my interview with Danny Heinsen. Please check out his stuff in the show notes section. Uh, support his organization, which is myhometownheroes.org, and continue making the world a better place. Enjoy. So on today's podcast, we have a longtime acquaintance of mine, Danny Heinsen. Um, hello, Danny. What's up, Jake? Uh, lots of things are up today. Thank you for asking. But mostly important, uh, most importantly, you are uh, going to be sharing a little bit about your story and your background and your cause. Um, I'm going to let you talk about that. But first, I want to give a brief background on how we know each other. And it's from college, like 20 plus years ago, which is crazy, because we don't look that old. At least I don't think we do. You're in good shape. You're still doing like triathlons and stuff, aren't you? You look the same as you did back then. <laughs> Grayer hairs. Don't look too closely into the into the camera. Yeah, yeah, definitely still in triathlons. Not so much as I used to be. Well, actually, I'm more into endurance running now more than triathlons. Mm. That's like the hundred mile stuff, fifty hundreds, that kind of thing. Fifty k's and above. Yeah. Oh wow, that's wild. Yeah, no thanks. That just kind of makes me want to vomit. Um, but hey, somebody's got to do it, and I'm glad you're out there. So. Tell us, tell us who you are, what, what you're doing on this podcast and, uh, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And then we'll, we'll dive into the particulars. 
Yeah, well, Jake, you and I connected in college. We, I think you were in the programming part of Student Senate, and I was the College mm-hmm. of Engineering senator. And that's, that's kind of, right. I think that's how we first connected. And did you go to Reed? I did. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think we both went to Reed. And then, uh, or no, did you, did you go to Reed or did you go to Reno? I did. I graduated in 94. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we were both in fraternities, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Reed and Sigma Nu, is that right? Pi Cap Alpha. Oh, you're a Pike. That's right. Jeez. Memory fades. Um, and I was in Sigma Phi Epsilon. Um, but yeah, so we, we ran in the same circles, Greek, Greek life, student government. Um, and, uh, and then we just happened to reconnect at a local brewery the other day. Cause you were in there, uh, shaking down the owner who we also know from college, uh, Matt Johnson at imbibe. Want to give them a shout out. Good beer there. Good experimental beer actually. And, uh, Anyway, um, I grabbed you because I, I knew that you had this um, organization and I wanted to get you on the podcast and talk about it. So, so please, talk, tell everybody, stop. let's stop uh, teasing them. Yeah, well, I mean, just funny that, you know, we kind of came to that juncture because I actually met Matt from Imbibe um, through team and training for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society back in 2008. And he, I, he was actually one of the cyclists that I coached. So oh, whoa. we'll bring everything back here in yeah. full circle. So uh, just kind of going, pivoting off of our journey to where we, you know, connected through student government at the University of Nevada. You know, I was slated to, to graduate college in May 1999 and I was, had plans to backpack Europe with my best friends for, for two and a half months and then come back and I was going to move to Colorado or Arizona to start my career as an electrical engineer. <laughs> So uh, that was the plan. And, uh, you know, it's going to be the ultimate weekend warrior. I was just going to mountain bike on the weekends. And, you know, in the wintertime, I was going to ski up in the, you know, up in um, the Rockies or, and whatnot. But so, yeah, my, my story really begins about a week before I graduated. I woke up one morning with a kind of a migraine headache. You know, I'm, I'm 23 and oh, just a migraine. I'm, I'll be fine the next morning. So the next morning I wake up and I'm about to go into my the last final of my undergraduate career. <clears throat> and it's just this lingering behind my left eyeball. And it was a final in digital control systems, I think was the course. So it just kind of gives you a headache just thinking about it. Uh-huh. So uh, Tuesday I'm running the base pass in a softball game. And it, it's, it just feels like there's a river rock just pounding into my skull. So, you know, with, with plans to backpack Europe, you know, two days after college graduation, uh, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to a family doctor and, you know, a medical clinic get a couple opinions. And they said, oh, you know, it's stress of finals. You're anxious to graduate and you're excited to go to Europe. Here's a couple of prescriptions. Call us back. You know the routine. So got some antibiotics. I felt best I ever felt was on Saturday and Sunday I graduated and still kind of had a headache. And then, um, you know, my college diploma and I I actually open up with this line in my TED talk is uh, may all your hopes and high aspirations for the future be as richly rewarding as this achievement. So that's was the primary message. I remember at graduation and I'm supposed to be on a plane to Bilbao, Spain two days, two days later, but Monday I wake up, the headaches come back with a vengeance worse than ever. So my dad and I, we drive down to St. Mary's the emergency room, figure out, okay, what's going on? After two and a half hours of testing, blood tests, CAT scans, chest x-ray, uh, I meet my, my dad back in the waiting room and he says, stands up, and I'm, I'm actually on a gurney. They instructed me to lay on a gurney. 
And um, so I met my dad in the waiting room. He said, it doesn't look like you're going to Europe. The doctors think you have a tumor. So that's, that was like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy news. So it's like, how do you react or respond to something like that? You're yeah. Just at 23, like, you know, they're like, you know, world on world by the tail and uh, like, yeah. Oh, by the way, a tumor in your head. We're, we're indestructible at 23, right? We are. We are. Um, yeah. So, you know, I get back to my room and I'm like, I don't I have no idea what to do. So I just call a couple of my best friends and they're in the hospital within minutes and, and just made a couple phone calls. And next thing I know, there's just like dozens and dozens of people coming to the hospital. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm about to have a, they're about to drill a hole, you know, carve out a nice chunk of my skull to take out this tumor, which is presumably the size of a racquetball, you know, three days after college graduation. So that's kind of crazy. And, but the thing that I, the thing that got me through that and how I live my life today was the people who were there for me in the hospital, because it was, you know, during that time, I, I just realized that just the simple act of being there can mean the world. And that's a valuable lesson to take I, I believe you could take anywhere just because, you know, we're all going through tough times with, you know, with the current financial or the current, um, you know, state of the world and COVID and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's really, really important to be grateful and um, really em- embrace the community uh, community and don't be afraid to ask for help because people, people will show up for it. Um, so yeah, just, just that, just for people showing up in the hospital, showing that they cared, didn't really have to do much. I mean, uh, my, you know, my, my Ted talk says my, my hospital room became a bouquet of hope with dozens of floral arrangements and stacks of get well cards. And that's what it was. So I was like, man, I haven't, I'm not fighting. I'm fighting for them now. This isn't about me anymore because these people are showing me this tremendous sense of support and I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take this day by day and, you know, I'm going to do it for them. You know, this is, this is my purpose because they're fighting for me. I'm going to fight for them. And so I get the, have the craniotomy and have a couple episodes that I briefly remember. The first one I remember was I was, I woke up feeling terrified because, you know, anesthesia is kind of a tricky thing. You can Mm -hmm. sometimes wear off too early and that's what happened in my case. So I just woke up just like freaking terrified. Um, and then the next episode, I remember my friend, Paul Seafree, who you probably know, he went to do. Yeah. And he's got, you know, he's got like the biggest perfect teeth ever. And <laughs> he, he, was, he was, he was, uh, you know, he was, he was working at the hospital at the time. So I, the thing I remember about him was his big, big smile. And then the third episode was actually my new reality. And that's, um, that's when I felt like I, I woke up and I got hit by a bus. And that was the reality I woke up to. And that was, you know, I had my, my arms and my legs were riddled with IVs and, and tubes, you know, in different parts of the body. And um, I, could, I couldn't even talk. I, I could kind of think and kind of comprehend. Um, so what, what had happened is after they, they did the first operation, they, they patched me back up and then they, and then I was, I woke up the next morning and I passed out and had a massive seizure and that was because of the intense cranial intercranial pressure. Mm. 
So when I woke up and I felt the top of my head, they actually removed the entire bone off this side of my skull, which is about the size of a baseball card. Yeah, and people can't see this because it's audio, but uh, we're on video looking at each other, but you're pointing yeah, to your got, left got, side and you have a big giant scar down there. Yeah, yeah I got, got an upside down horseshoe on that side. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so um, that was a trip, you know, no skull or, you know, chunk of my skull missing and just no protection of my brain. And they, they had presumed it was some sort of lymphoma and my case was forwarded to UCSF and they said, okay, you know, you know how it is in the medical industry. It's kind of the hurry up and wait type of game. <clears throat> so long story short, my case is forwarded to UCLA where I'd have a conclusive operation and got a little more educated on the risks on what, you know, the high stakes that were actually involved with an operation like this. I could, I could have more seizures. Um, I could have a stroke and I could, I could even die. You know, this could be the end right here. So I, um, you know, I just, I just kept embracing my, my people, you know, who were there for me. And, you know, my, my best friends were always there for me. We, We went up to the lake and everything and you know i wore a hat because i didn't have this part of my that's crazy so your skull was literally missing did they did they put anything in place of it like well i'm thinking of like christmas vacation where eddie cousin eddie's like there ain't nothing there but a piece of government plastic (laughs) yeah i mean so what they did is they basically took took the the skin and they just sutured it back up but there's no bone there whoa oh that's wild that's crazy so so yeah um you know, in, in life, you always have a choice, you know, on how you react or respond to adversity. And, and you can, this is in my book, and it's also my TED Talk that, um, you know, the, the, um, the risks, you know, seizures, stroke, I could even die. And I, I chose hope, you know, um, out of everything. And that's kind of how I went into that third craniotomy where my um, uh, neurosurgeon Dr. Linda Liao is one of the best in the world, um, come to find out. And uh, I, when I woke up from that operation, I was, you know, I had a solid head again. And I felt the best I had ever felt, um, you know, prior to the headaches before even getting admitted to the hospital. So she did a fantastic job. Um, so then, you know, standard protocol after having brain surgeries, uh, you got to wait you know, three weeks standard protocol after brain surgery for your, you know, to everything to kind of heal to some sort of extent to, um, before administering any chemo. And I, I, I kind of thought I was at the tail end of this thing and I was going to kind of get on with my life and then go to an oncologist in Reno, Dr. Conrad, great dude. And, uh, he tells me I have a primary central nervous system lymphoma. Oh, so, so that means it went into your spinal cord? So or like it got prim- into your brain? How's that? So primary meaning originating in the brain, Okay. central nervous system, and um, lymphoma, the nature of the cancer. And I didn't even know, I didn't know anything about cancer. I didn't even know lymphoma was cancer. So I'm all, what is that? Cancer? And he just didn't say anything, just mm, nodded his head. And my dad was in the room with me as well. And I'm sure my dad knew a lot more than I did at the time. So, you know, that treatment was pretty brutal if I, if that was the option I had to go with. And, um, you know, my, my book's called for reason, for reason, because the things that have happened in my life 
um, such as the next set of events. Um, because Dr. Conrad's treatment was weekly chemo every single week for four months. Oof. And then five weeks of radiation to the brain after that, then like another month of chemo, just like every single week you're getting crushed. So I was like, well, I don't know if we have much of a choice. So the next day I got a call from the oncologist at UCLA who had been following my case. And he said that there's a, uh, a program in Portland, Oregon called the blood brain barrier disruption. And it's a form of chemo that doesn't involve radiation. Hmm. So that was pioneered by Dr. Ed Newalt back in 1982. And um, it greatly uh, enhance the quality of life for whatever life you might have left, um, you know, for, for your last days, you know, whether it's another year, six months or five years or whatever. So I was like, okay, well, if we're going to have the best chance, you know, for, for our best chances, you know, to have a quality of life, regardless how, of how long that's going to be, we're going to, we're going to step up our game. We're going to fly to Portland, Oregon every month to get it. So, Went out to Portland, Oregon every month for an entire year, uh, flew back, you know, gave myself injections of Neupogen, which is replenishes your white blood cells, uh, shots of Lovenox, which is a blood thinner, um, and all kinds of steroids that go along with it. And steroids were the worst, um, probably worse than the chemo itself. But um, yeah, and then, you know, you just kind of had to adapt to the new normal. Uh, of going to Portland every month and doing all this, the whole medical thing. But, you know, once you practice something for a certain amount of time, you start to get efficient at it and just, you know, becomes your new normal. And then once it becomes your new normal, then you can start adapting and you can start improving your quality of life. So, <clears throat> you know, it took a while for my speech and memory to come back. And I, I would, I can claim that it probably took six years till I finally, six or seven years before I finally had total recall. Wow there's still probably memories that I don't even know about that are <laughs> wandering around in my brain that I haven't remembered yet. But, um, so I did a lot of reading and reading was very therapeutic during that time because having to take the steroids every six hours through the entire year didn't really Holy get me to sleep. Cow. So, um, and at this point you don't even know if you're going to live. Like, did they give you like they, you had the, you had the tumor removed. You had three different surgeries. Mm -hmm. Tumor came out you got this treatment that's non radiation treatment. It's chemicals of some sort and steroids and whatnot. Um, and you're being very diligent about it, but, but the big question mark is we don't even know if I'm going to live. Well, this, so the first treatment when I got, um, uh, got out of, um, let's see my first treatment was August. Yeah. August, 1999. And it was, it, shrunk the tumor by 80% that first month. Oh, so they didn't remove the tumor with the craniotomy. What they no, were they doing did. was exploring they, they, it. No, right. they did remove the crani They did remove the tumor through the craniotomies. Okay. But through the blood brain barrier disruption, you know, that it's a kind of a crazy process. They basically take a, um, a needle and insert it into your femoral artery, which is the mm -hmm. largest artery in your body with, in the pelvic area. And that's when they kind of administer the, the chemo and the methotrexate and all that. It goes through your body and it goes to the back of your brain. And that it like, it's a, it's 10 to a hundred fold effective because hmm. it, it hits the cancer super hard. So the way that works is 
know, the blood brain barrier is basically your, your immune system. So, um, it's hard to, it's hard to get in there. Right. Um, so what Dr. Newell did is he pioneered this program to where there's a sugar solution called mannitol. And when the mannitol is in your system, it actually opens up the blood brain barrier for 20 to 30 minutes. And that's when they zap you with the chemo. So I guess, cause I'm, I'm naive to all this. Uh, I pictured they scrape out the, the growth, but the cancer's not gone then you still have to attack the cancer. So, yeah. So the, so my tumor was on the left side of my brain. So as you know, your left side, your analytical, your right side is your, your creative side. And they can only go so far to take it out. So that's why they had to hit me with the uh, chemo okay. because if they took out too much, I could they be start in a, eating your brain. Well, I, I'd be in a, I could be in a permanent state of paralysis. Oh, okay. Right. I would be in a condition like someone with uh, ex- extreme like cerebral palsy to where I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. Okay. I could think, but I couldn't function. So this growth then that they removed was not a part of your brain. It was something that just mushroomed inside. It was non-beneficial. It was um, vestigial, I guess, for lack of a better term. So they, they, they clipped that, they cut it out the best that they can. But if they dig any further to get like, I guess, the, the roots so to speak, of this this mushroom, um, they'd start poking into parts of your brain that are necessary to function. And so in order to, to, to attack that, rather than um, cut them out, they poison it. Is that an appropriate analogy? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. I think I get yeah, they, it now. They, 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 so what, I mean, what, what chemo does is it, it kills the cancer, it's, or it's intended to kill the cancer, mm-hmm. but it also kills your good cells too. It right, right. It makes you very sick, sick right? Because your white blood cells, um, you know, I think, you know, the human body is very fascinating and people are built in their own unique genetic code. Um, some people respond better than others. Um, the, there's, <laughs> youth is definitely an advantage because my body could, def- could handle it when you're 23. Mm-hmm. And you were in shape and you were healthy and, um, and all that stuff. That, that certainly probably factored in as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, I was... try to keep yeah i mean as opposed to being you know obese and having a cigarette hobby and that kind of thing like that would probably be less likely to have a a a resilient response to the to the treatment if you're unhealthy sure i mean you get you got people that that smoke and have unhealthy eating habits they don't get cancer then you have some of those same demographics that do get cancer so i think it's I think, you know, I, I talk about in my book about how I could have gotten cancer. Was it, you know, was it the liner in my refrigerator with the water? You know, (laughs) did I have a food allergy that I I didn't know about? Um, Was it the lifestyle? Because back in the nineties, you know, in Reno, um, I didn't smoke, Mm -hmm. but smoking was legal in bars and I, you know, we would socially hang out in smoky bars. And then, then there's also genetics. So I think, you know, the right combination of that, those environments um, paired with my genetic code, which didn't respond. There's somewhere in there is how the cancer originated in. Right. Metastas- well, metastasized goes through other parts of your body, but it, it maintained in my brain. So it never got down my spinal cord. So um, I want you to finish telling the story about how you, how you healed. 
Um, because eventually I want to talk about the, I mean, it's a mental health podcast. We want to talk about the, the mental health aspect of these things and then, you know, get into charity. But I, I want you to finish the story about like the treatments and how you healed and stuff. And I'll, I'll just keep peppering in questions because I'm curious and I'm the show host and I get to ask these things. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, my, my scans are clean and through, through this particular treatment, you know, it's funny. I actually asked a question and on Facebook to all of my fellow cancer survivors, I said, when do you, what do you consider remission, you know, from your treatment? Is it the last day of chemo? Is it the, the first day your cancer considered cancer free? Um, so it, it was kind of variable. Um, but I can, because my treatment, um, it was, the protocol was 12 months. So if the cancer was gone halfway through, they wanted me to go the rest of the six months just because that had the best success rate. So I went through treatment all, all 12 months because, you know, we don't want to take any chances of this thing coming back. And uh, when, when did it go away? How, how soon into treatment did it go away? You know, if, if, it, if it shrunk by 80% after the first treatment out of, you know, 11 months, then, you know, because they, you know, I got an MRI when I went to OHSU and then I got an MRI, um, oh God, it's, I mean, it's just 20 years ago. So it's kind of hard to remember yeah. those kind of details, but I got an MRI either. I think it came down to once a month after the first couple of months to where I'd either get the MRI when I got to OHSU or I'd have an MRI before I flew up to OHSU. And, um, that's Oregon health science university. Is that right? Yep. Yep. They're, they're one of the best in the world. Um, and I think in a, in a lot of things as well. So, you know, so I ended up reading 20 books that year and my in between time and not being able to sleep. And eventually I, you know, you know, I had to relearn how to tie my shoes, walk and talk. And, you know, the brain is a truly remarkable thing and it, it, it can heal, um, and then it truly it's true. Use it or lose it. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I definitely challenged myself during that time and. Yep. I think we froze. You know, I've hit me for the rest of my life through into my survivorship. And, um, just with all the notes I took, I just like, I believe that I was going to be a survivor. So I just said, what you believe is what you become. So that became my, my mantra. And then finished my last chemo and took that with me. And then, you know, life after chemo is not happily ever after because you have the side effects when you're tapering, you know, when you're tapering from steroids, that's not fun. Mm. Um, you, it's a roller coaster of emotions, depression, anxiety. Um, you can't really quit them cold Turkey. So they put you on a six month taper schedule. Um, and then, I mean, to boot, um, Four months before my last chemo treatment, we entered a two and a half year recession, the dot com uh, recession. Yeah. So as if, you know, adding insult to injury, there was no jobs. Right. And then I, I, I pretty much determined, you know, I, I went to college. I, I used to go to the Bay Area, Sacramento to go see like Soundgarden and Metallica. So that was kind of my thing in college. And You're dating I yourself. I mean, I, the, the 1999 college graduation dated you, but, but saying Soundgarden and Metallica in concert is, is definitely dating us. Yeah. I think that's like my parents saying like, yeah, we, we went to see Pink Floyd or something. It's like, oh, no, I, I know how old you are. Yeah. <laughs> but ep epic nonetheless. I mean, I saw Pearl Jam in my college oh, yeah. days. Yeah, all, all the good bands. So, 
you know, you come to that point in your life when you finish chemo and we're in a recession, you know, life is short. So, you know, you got to do what you enjoy. You don't have to, if you're dirt poor, as long as you enjoy it, do it because everything else will follow. I totally believe in the law of attraction. So for me, okay, I love music. I love sports. Um, so the first thing I did after my last chemo treatment is I uh, stepped into a spinning class at 24 hour fitness. When I walked out of that class, I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to become a certified spinning instructor. I get to motivate people. I get to exercise, get paid on time. But best of all, I get to play my own music. So my own <laughs> yeah. DJ. So then I got, I got certified and, and that kind of, that was the beginning. There were, there was, there's two critical things that happened towards my recovery that getting the certification. Um, and I'm granted 20 bucks for one or two classes a week isn't a ton of money, but the fact that I can do all those other things that go along with it was, was, uh, was fulfilling for me. But, um, you know, I had this aspiration to go to Europe and I thought my happy ending could be, gosh, you know, it'd be great to go full circle and, and go to Europe and kind of pick up from where I left off. And, but, um, you know, this is where one of the biggest lessons that came into play was, um, I had this aspiration to go to Europe and it just kept showing up my life. Okay. I have to go to Europe. This is going to be my happy ending. Then I could move on with the rest of my life. And then, but my time to go to Europe had come and gone because my friends, they had already started their jobs. I was still managing seizure complications. I, I had no one to go with. And I just thought, I just was anxious about it every single day. And I, I realized that the thing that was making me so miserable was this outcome, this so-called outcome that I had to go to Europe. And then I asked myself a di different question. What would my life look like if I didn't go to Europe? If, you know, if I let go of Europe, if I, if I focus more on my healing rather than, oh, I have to go to Europe. So I asked myself a different question. And then when I realized that the aspiration to go to Europe no longer served me, that's when the universe just like blew up into like infinite possibilities, like the law of attraction, like everything that came into my life began with that moment that I let go of Europe. Um, so long, long story short, um, there's a lot to unpack. Um, I could talk about this for a couple hours, but um, you know, when I let, I couldn't see the other opportunities that were out there until I let go of this aspiration. So when when I let go of Europe, opportunities started showing up different parts of my life. And I got certified to become a spinning instructor. And my second class guy walks in, he's like, dude, I love your music, man. You should just take over this class. And you're like the best spinning instructor. And um, so I was just like, oh, that's cool. That's a cool, uh, great compliment, you know, when I'm first starting out. So I was a substitute when I first got started. And he you know, we just, we just talked, we just talked about music. We just talked about the things that we love. And I had no idea it was a startup of this new company. And, um, so part of my closure, at, uh, from aside from going to Europe was I became an honor patient for team and training for the leukemia and lymphoma, lymphoma society while I was going through chemo. And what, what is that? What is team and training? So, so team and training is like the primary fundraising arm crowdfunding arm for the leukemia and lymphoma society to where people train for marathons, hundred mile bike rides and triathlons. 
and they're raising money during their time in training and they have a fundraising goal. So when they hit that fundraising goal, then the whole trip is pretty much paid for. Okay. So you, you let go of Europe mm -hmm. because you realized that was like a, um, it was like a destination that was probably not going to be realized. And in doing so your, your tunnel vision on going to Europe expanded you didn't have the tunnel vision anymore and you relaxed into the process rather than the goal or the, you know, the self self-appointed goal. And, and in so doing it, like you said, it opened up all these other opportunities that you hadn't seen before. And I, th I think that there's a, a really valuable lesson in there that I think sometimes when we get so fixated on what we think we need, we're missing the opportunities that are being presented to us. What are what we actually need? You know, like, like you said, the universe just opens up, like it has a way of putting things in our path that are necessary that we may not have on our consciousness. Um, so in order to do that, you have to humble yourself a little bit and go, I don't really know what's best for me, but I'm going to trust in the process. And it sounds like that's what you relaxed into. So you found yourself in team and training. Mm -hmm. And from there. Yeah. So, so team and training. So the, there's a guy named Dan Brown. I think he lives in Susanville now, but he was a coach for team and training um, back in 2001. And because I was an honor patient, you know, people raised money on the behalf of people like me mm. <laughs> training. So every, the week or like the Wednesday before the marathon, so the marathon and the hundred mile bike ride takes place on the same day. The marathons in San Diego, the, the bike rides in Lake Tahoe. So they have a local get together kind of celebration on everybody's hard work before everybody travels. And uh, Dan was at that property. He said, he said, man, you could feel free to come down to my shop. If you want to come ride with us, that's cool. And uh, you know, you can pick out a bike, we'll get you on the road and you can ride with us. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't have any hundred mile <laughs> bike ride training, but I was, I was still pretty depressed at that time. Um, you know, and it's just like, well, I don't want it to be a, another, ordinary day so I was just like I'm, I'm just gonna went to the shop picked out a bike and got on the road and I just remember this incredible energy you know it's like almost 3,000 people from all across the country that fly into Reno wow. stay up at Tahoe and they do this 100 mile bike ride so there's the 100 mile bike ride and then there's a 70, 72 mile bike ride where you just ride around the perimeter of, of the lake so I get on the bike and I'm just like I'm just like an awe of like all the amazing people out there. And um, the first stop is Emerald Bay. It's a lot of climbing to get there. Gorgeous. If anybody's never been to Tahoe, who's listening to this, you need to go to Tahoe. And when you do, go to Emerald Bay. Go to Emerald Bay, yeah. Oh, go actually go to Emerald Bay and watch the sunrise from Emerald Bay. Ooh. So I remember watching the sunrise and I was like, man, this day's this day's going to has something special in store for me. I don't know what it is. So the next aid station is, um, is Homewood. So you're 25 miles into the bike ride. It's like, and I lost Dan and, uh, I don't know if I could do this, do this on my own. And then, you know, I, I kind of started playing a game in my head. Well, if I'm 25 miles into the ride, I'm going to, and I decided to go back to the start. I have to ride 50 miles total. So if I find mm -hmm. Dan, then I only have to go another, what, uh, you know, 16 miles, 16 miles, and I'm halfway around the lake. So Dan just happened to show up at Homewood, 
and he's all, you know what? I'm going to coach you. I'm going to ride with you for the rest of the day. And that's what he did. And um, we got to uh, Kings Beach where lunch was served. And I had new life, or I thought I did, but I ate way too much. I, you know, I've never trained before. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm so having lunch. <laughs> Longest bike ride. And then, as you know, from Kings Beach, um, you know, you pass Sand Harbor, but then you have to go mm-hmm. all the way up Spooner Summit. Oh, uh, yeah. It's yeah, that's a climb. climb. And I'm like, dude, this is going to be, I don't I have no idea how I'm going to make it through this day, but I'm just going to go. So I get to the top of Spooner. And I'm just like laying down on the blacktop at the, at the aid station. <laughs> and then, you know, not really knowing the lay of the land. I mean, even though you and I have been there many times, not really knowing the true nature of the hills from that point. Cause it's, it's a long downhill from Spooner all the way down to the, to the lake level, but it's a lot of rolling hills and those rolling hills killed me, man. And we got to a place, I think just, right before Zephyr Cove where I said, I, dude, I have nothing left in the tank. And then Dan said, you know what? We're going to wait here as long as we need to, but we're going to finish this ride. We're going to finish this ride. And I just like every essence of my body, I felt like I had nothing left, but got back on the bike and started riding. And then um, I don't know if you remember, they, they're no longer there now, but the tennis courts before you get to South Shore, I always remember those tennis courts before you see downtown Tahoe. Yeah. And that's when I, that was when the moment hit me. That was like when my moment of rapture started to emerge and I just started crying my eyes out and, and I I did it, you know, I rode around the whole lake and then that was like, that was, I knew what my, what my mission was from that point forward because I was diagnosed when Lance Armstrong finished his first tour to France in 1999 Um, and uh, his book came out in 2000 January 2000 when I was going through chemo so he was a huge inspiration for me so when he finishes the bike ride he tells the media if you ever have a second chance in life to do anything you have to go all the way Mm. so that was my 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 second chance and I decided I was going to do the whole hundred miles the next year and then raise all the money for team and training and that's kind of when my endurance um, career started. I became a cycling coach, marathon finner, finisher, um, you know, many hundred mile bike rides after that. Um, eventually I became an Ironman. So let's talk about my hometown heroes because you got all this inspiration to help others through your, your, uh, your, your activities and whatnot and raising money and whatnot. And that parlayed itself into my hometown heroes, myhometownheroes.org if you want to, you know, look it up. But t- talk about the the inception of that and where it is today. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'd raised about $125,000 for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society through team and training for the course of six years, um, just by speaking and recruiting people. And then my last year of team and training was 2008. And then 2009 came along. And a good friend of mine in the sports industry, he's the first person with cerebral palsy to ever summit Mount Kilimanjaro um, and do do an Ironman with cerebral palsy. So he started at the National Sports Forum in Arizona that year, but C-League 
the commissioner of Major League Baseball was one of the speakers. And when Bud was done speaking, they started playing this video of Bonner, this documentary of Bonner, like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And he started his own foundation called the, the One Man Foundation. And that was like a huge like dose of inspiration for me, not knowing what I was going to quite do for my tenure, but that kind of planted the seed. So I did the uh, Escape from Alcatraz triathlon in June of 2009. And that's when it hit me. I think I'm going to train for my first Ironman triathlon and use that training to raise money, to raise $10,000, symbolic of 10 years mm -hmm. cancer-free. So got together with some of my friends for lunch and we're talking about, okay, do we want to raise money for like team or leukemia lymphoma society or live strong? And then one of them said, why don't you start a scholarship fund? So I already knew what I wanted to call the organization. Uh, I wanted to call it hometown heroes at first. So one of my friends who worked in NASCAR, he was one of my consultants and good friend of mine. He said, well, hometown heroes is taken, but my hometown heroes is available. Nice. So he said, okay, this is how you go buy a website. So I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I bought the website, had a better ring to it because when you say my, you take ownership of it. Yeah. So my hometown heroes became a scholarship fund for young adult cancer survivors. And I did the Ironman finished less than 12 hours and raised over $10,000. And, you know, fast forward, here we are 10 years later, 10th year anniversary. And, you know, we've awarded, we've eclipsed our goal um, my goal when I was with team and training. Um, so we've done 125,000 in scholarships since 2010 and we're in our 10th year anniversary. So we have a lot of opportunities to make some noise. July 20th will be my 20th year remission. Um, so yeah, our, you know, we're, we're living in crazy times right now. Um, but you know, we're still raising money. People are still donating because they, they love the cause. They love our mission. They love, the stories of our survivors. Um, and the crazy thing is, is every single one of our scholarship recipients has a very similar story is mine. They're Meaning their own, they, they, they got, whoop. Through their, through, their own, through their own personal journeys. So uh, similar in what way, like diagnosed in college or after college? And Well, our, um, so our scholarships are, we award, to, to qualify for the scholarship, you have to be a survivor between the ages of 17 and 39 years old. Okay. So you could be diagnosed when you're three years old and be fine after that. Some people get diagnosed later on, but we have a, we have a process. So you have to apply through an online form. And then we have a scholarship review committee. We have about, we have 18 people on our committee this year. Hello, um, this is David. I'm calling Kimberly. Sorry. I just wanted to give you a second. Uh, <laughs> Was that a scam? I don't know. Well, somebody legitimate. Yeah, so I'm, I'm at my mom's house right now, so we got the old school phone, too. <laughs> and an old school answering machine. That's great. This makes for great audio, by the way. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no edits or anything. <laughs> no, no, this is the, uh, we, we pretend that this is live here. We don't, we don't edit anything. So, I mean, they all have this, this moment in their lives. And I, I think it, it's probably a little more relevant for those who are actually, you know, in their teenage years when they're starting to develop their identities. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is this population between 17 and 39 years old is one of the most overlooked and underserved demographics in our country today. You know, people talk, you know, they think about, when they think a cancer and the organizations, they think of like St. Jude, 
right children yeah you know pediatric cancers and you think of like you know cancers that develop as you get older you know like colon cancer breast cancer cancer, prostate so those 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 are like those are like the prominent you know diseases of you know in that cancer population but there's also this young adult population where i fall smack dab in the middle um where it's like the, the unsung unsung population you know because this is the most important time of our lives when we're like trying to find our place in the world mm-hmm. and then boom we get hit by cancer and the whole game changes and you know everybody you know some some of our recipients go through treatment for over five years you know they're dealing with this for years but they're still going to school you know so that's you know, wild the, the scholarship is is more than just money it's actually um you know we, we, we hear you we understand where you're coming from and when we talk about like like mental health it's like you know especially i would say more so for men because we're we're stoic and we're not as expressive as, right. as females in, in general um you know um that that's that there's something there's a lot there's a lot to be said about that because you have the parents who are taking care of their children going through cancer or family members taking care of their, their loved ones. And then you have the patients themselves, but I don't think there's a whole lot of conversation going on with the mental health side of things. No. And, and certainly, I mean, you and I were talking offline before we, we started recording about this very issue. You, you've got a, a conference or a summit coming up here and I'll, I'll let you talk about what that is, but you, you're going to dedicate 90 minutes of that, um, that summit to this topic, which is family support. And and I, as a family systems counselor, I have a heart for that, obviously. Um, But I I think it's really important not only to attend to say the the younger generation who may be going through college and their parents are the the primary line of support, but then you, you, you skip forward a little bit in the age and you look at people in their late twenties or early thirties, perhaps who have young families and have spouses and, and children, young children and, and the psychological toll that it takes on those, um, I don't want to call them ancillary or periphery, but the, but the adjuncts in, in the, in the identified patient's life are almost as important, if not more important than the patient him or herself. So mm-hmm. yes, yeah, speak to that and, and what you're discovering along the way and, and, how, how maybe people can help too. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we had our second planning call today with, um, one of the, you know, so one of our $5,000 recipients, um, she's a strong advocate for the foundation, obviously. And then her dad as well. So they, you know, her dad actually sits on our board as a donor relations manager now. Mm. So they're going to have a session just between the two of them on, you know, what him as a parent had to, learn to delegate with his job and have other people kind of do his job while he took care of his daughter. Yeah. So, um, you know, even, even with, in my journey as well, like my parents and I, we never talked about how we felt, you know, and there's gotta be a ton of fear at the root of all that too, because not only just, is it uncertain, but you know, and I, I teach emotions, uh, for a living really. And, And if anybody's listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know, that I talk about, how important emotions are as an adaptive function to our, our livelihood and fears function is to tell us that there's a threat or a danger present. So 
um, people have fear based on uncertainty just because they don't, they don't know and they can't predict. And we in the West are not great at tolerating uncertainty. But also with a cancer diagnosis, there is an absolute legitimate fear. I'm sorry, an absolute legitimate threat present, which is the threat of loss of life um, or incapacitation uh, or loss of finances because it's very expensive to go through the process. Um, alter, alteration of one's own career path, uh, like loss of hopes and dreams. Like these are, these are very, very scary, highly overwhelming concepts that we are, if, if we as a you know, citizenry are not in touch with our emotions, uh, can overwhelm us very quickly because um, if we're already not good at navigating emotions on a low level, big giant emotions, we're going to be terrible at dealing with. And so fear is one. I'm, I'm certain that, um, you know, sadness is another because you the expected losses that I, I just listed off. Um, these are all really important emotions. And if you're not good at talking about them, then you're not good at dealing with them, managing them, working through them. And as you said, if you, you know, as, as dudes in particular, we're, we're terrible at dealing with emotions anyway, because we're all taught as, as boys that, you know, boys don't cry and, uh, boys aren't scared and pick yourself up by the bootstraps and, you know, just bury it, bottle it up. And what ends up happening neurologically is all that, the, the, the cortisol, the, the dopamine, the, the epinephrine, the norepinephrine, the serotonin, the, uh, they, they all end up going somewhere. They go into our cells. Uh, it becomes very toxic for our body on a physiological level and on a psychological level. If we're not allowing that energetic emotional flow, then we end up blowing up on people. We or we internalize, or we turn to substance abuse to to continue stuffing it down, or to compensate or avoid. And so, so we end up with these very unhealthy coping mechanisms if we don't face it head on. And it sounds like this is what you guys are trying to do now is like bring it to the forefront. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that was that was kind of a um, a surprise because I started talking about it on our call today, and I started getting emotional about it hmm. uh, because I, I went all these years it. later. Yeah. Yeah. Just cause I mean, I, I've, I've come to, I've, I've come to term terms with the, you know, pretty much majority of, I would, I would say that the bike kind of saved my life. Cause whenever I've had a, any, even though I had to suffer on the bike to do like a 60 or hundred mile bike ride during my train, not during actual race day, but for me, my, my Zen, I always found that through, through cycling. For me, hmm. the pedaling was, was my meditation. And I knew that whenever I finished a bike ride, I, I pretty much vetted out all my problems. Like sometimes I'd be in a, doing a triathlon and I'd have, you know, this is like after when I was in, re, you know, years in a remission, I would have someone, something that bothered me from work and I drive to Sacramento and I, I'd be thinking about, I'd be swimming on the swim <laughs> I'd be thinking about it but by the time I got out of the water like that I would have resolved that issue because I just yeah. sorted everything out on that swim and because breathing is very or swimming is very meditative because it's you know it's rhythmic one side mm -hmm. breathing and so you know um you know learning how to learning these various coping mechanisms breathing and finding some sort of state of flow whether it's med you know just straight up meditation or cycling um because our, our thoughts can consume us if we don't, if we don't act on them, if we don't put some sort of action to them as well. But I mean, to your point with, with mental health, I think we need to, we all need an outlet. You know, that's why you have like these creative geniuses out there, like artistic geniuses that don't have a lot to say, but um, 
but what they put down on paper or what they put down the processing. on processing it, it, yeah. is genius. And that's, that's their self-expression. So I think that, you know, I, I started to develop a campaign like survivorship and as, as an expression, but I, it's survivorship is a lifestyle now, but, um, so on the back of our, our My Hometown Hero shirts, we have, we have like the ohm sign. We have a silhouette of a, a woman running and silhouette of a dude doing an iron cross on the skis. So, um, you know, it's, it's whatever you interpret it to be, but you have to find your, you have to find your Zen. You got to find what centers you. And it, and I think just something as simple as walking away from finding your own place of solitude to where you can process the day and do that routinely. Um, Cause it doesn't seem like a lot at first, but it's um, you're conditioning yourself. You're training yourself into a new, into a new way of being. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I have a personal testimony that two, two of them actually one is uh, baseball. I played baseball on Sundays in adult league for years and years and years. And uh, the other is snowboarding. And um, I still try to get out and play with the guys. We're, we're not going to play a league this year because it's, um, you know, COVID. Um, but also I, my body's breaking down. I can't, I can't do baseball anymore. I could do snowboarding, but I haven't done snowboarding for about five years. And when I'm snowboarding, it's just me in the snow and I'm going down the hill and I got my headphones in. It's like, it's exactly what you just described with the bike. Whatever problems are in my head, I work through. And my, my testimony here is that in the years that I didn't get those things, either from surgery or from being too busy or whatever, um, I was a wreck. And now I'm looking back and in the last several months, I haven't really had, well, I could even say years, I haven't really had an escape. And now noticing, I, I didn't, I honestly did not even reflect on this until you just mentioned it now. So here I am bearing my soul to the, to the public. Um, I need to get that back. I need to find something even, I mean, I'm, I've been a, an avid home brewer for like 10 years and beer brewing for a while was it like, I'd just sit there and stare at boiling water and I'd organize my tool shop or whatever it was. Well, but now it's, I brew beer while I'm tending to other things. And that's not a Zen state. That's you don't go bike riding while grocery shopping. You know, it's like, that doesn't count, right? That's, that's, it's multitasking. And, and we all know that multitasking isn't a thing. Uh, we just talk like it's a thing. So I appreciate you bringing that up. And I hope that if, if the listening audience is hearing this and you, and you realize that you had the thing and now it's gone or it's transitioning into something else because we all have seasons of life too. We can't just continually do the, the, the athletic activity forever because, you know, bodies wear out and break down. We have to shift gears sometimes. You know, I may have to take up puzzle making or something like that, but, but something, maybe it's podcasting, but something needs to occupy that time so that we do have space to process through the very difficult topics that are rolling around in our head. And there's a lot of difficult topics these days in the face of a global pandemic uh, civil unrest, um, and then and then we have our lack of outlets with sports and entertainment that have, have disappeared from culture, you know, by and large, and that and that's a big problem. So, you know, no wonder mental illness is on the rise and people are frustrated and and lashing out. Uh, so, I would invite the listening audiences, as Danny suggested, like find find your zen. You know, if it's if it's bicycling, if it's if it's uh, swimming, if it's walking, if it's pickleball, whatever the rhythmic activity is that just gets you to move through stuff rather than being in a stuck space. 
um, I, I really invite everybody to, to explore that. Thanks for bringing that up, man. And, and like on a personal level, thank you for illuminating that. Cause honestly, I don't, I don't think I'd considered it. I was just like, yeah, I'd like to go snowboarding sometime, but man, it was, it's really important. It's really important. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not, I'm not like an expert on Buddha, but I do kind of read stuff here and there. And I think it's um, finding joy in the mundane. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's, it's hundred percent true because you know, um, I mean, running, I mean, you, you running something that you kind of condition yourself to, to, to like really enjoy it. Like for me, if I have a bad day, I don't feel like running. I go out and run anyway, because I know I'm going to feel great afterwards. Precisely. My wife does that actually. She just took up running about a year and a half ago and she loves it. She never thought she would, but she loves it. And she's doing like, she's doing all this physical fitness stuff and I'm very proud of her. And she she does, she forces herself to do it. She always feels great afterward. Yeah. Good testimony. Um, so Speaking of mental health um, and, and how we, how we deal with it, how is yours now, if you could like maybe, maybe do a, a 30,000 foot view comparison of yesteryear when you're going through it, now that you've gotten some enlightenment and, um, and, and what do you do these days to keep yourself sane? What did you do back then when you were going through the treatment and how maybe has that changed a little bit? Yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So last year in 2019, I knew I was coming upon even my 20 year remission and I'm a keynote speaker. So I thought, okay, if I was to bring to the stage, the three biggest lessons I learned about success and getting from one thing to the next, whether for me, whether it was from, you know, being diagnosed to going through treatment, treatment through, through remission, you know, anxiety and depression to wellness and then you know and then two and a half year recession to being highly to finding my dream job you know I I was it it all came down to three I call them the three disciplines of success so it all begins with clarity what do you want to accomplish and why is that important to you so if I go back to wanting to go to Europe you know i I guess the question would be, I don't want to feel anxious anymore, you know? So what, that's what I wanted to accomplish. And why is that important to me? Because I wanted to be able to live my life without any less anxiety. You know, that, that would be one of the things that's, I tell that context more deeply in my keynote, but, um, and then from there it's, it's okay. So there's that, there's that clarity. Then there's that commitment to the process this is what I'm dedicated to do. You know, uh, how do you define success and what's necessary to achieve it? So you just figure out, okay, what do I need to do to, to get to this next level? And then, so that's the second discipline. And the third discipline is community because we need each other to succeed. So it has to start within first. I start within um, clarity, commitment, and then the community because people will help you get there. So like every single transition through my life and I, it's perfect for me because it ties into my story about triathlons because you have the swim, you have three disciplines in triathlon, right? Swim, bike, and run. But there's actually a fourth discipline. It's called transition. It's the time it takes to get to the swim to the bike and the bike to the run. One minute or one second too long in transition could cost you the race. So how we're able to, um, to develop those tools when times of adversity you know, come upon us, I just go back to, to clarity, when I, when I, when I can focus on my why, then the how becomes, okay, it's, it's achievable. I just got to figure out how to do it. Um, and that just like 
you know, from leave, from me leaving corporate, this is what I wanted to accomplish. And this is why it was important to me. I left my corporate job so I could, you know, build a sustainable infrastructure for my found, my foundation. And then once I had that clarity, it's I'm, I'm committed to the process. I'm committed to building a board. I'm committed, committed to building a badass team. And then community is what makes it all happen. You know, we, cause you got, you get people who are attracted by, I think like, you know, I, I talk about personal branding too. You know, you have people on how many, there's how many realtors are out there, how many financial advisors, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. All basically the same thing. But if I think if you start with what they're passionate about, if you want to differentiate yourself in the market, start with what they're passionate about. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. They act on that too. So that could, that could really help distill people's why as well. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, what fires you up? What gets you up in the morning? And if you don't know, spend some time thinking about it. Um, so clarity, commitment, community. You, I like the way you laid that out. It starts within and then it goes to the, the without. Do you think maybe we've got that inverted as a, as a culture, as a society these days? We're looking externally for motivation too often. And, and if so, how do, we, how do we fix that? Well, I, I think that's a, that's a epidemic or pandemic in itself, yeah. the whole mental thing. Yeah. <laughs> because um, Looking for others to save you. Well, well, especially with the digital and social media world these days, I think that has a big contributing factor to why people are anxious because there's a lot of self-comparison to people who have already Absolutely. achieved success. Yeah. And now they're like blowing it up on social media. Oh, I, I, this is how I made a million dollars and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, that's, it's great, man. I, you know, I want to get there eventually too, but um, that's, that's being attached to the outcome. Right. Right. So yes. that's what they, that they, they want to do. And they wonder why they can't, they wonder why they can't get to the next level because they're focused on the outcome. They're not focused on, okay, why this is important to me. That's, that speaks to your Europe thing. Like the outcome was going to Europe. That was going to be your bow on the, on the present or whatever. And you were missing the process. Mm -hmm. That's, that's brilliant insight is that the people are looking to the, whatever the, the, the checkpoint is, you know, if we're using a video game reference, you, you pass the checkpoint and then you don't, you, if you die, you reset to that checkpoint. Like we're always looking at the next achievement rather than like, playing the game and enjoying what's going on in the process. Um, and that those are, those are things that are often not quantifiable. Um, me doing this podcast with you, I don't know that it necessarily quote unquote achieves anything. It's just enjoyable because I get to learn and, and I get to, you know, share what you have with whatever audience I have. And that's, that's cool for me. But if I'm, if I'm like, I have to do so many podcasts in order to, blah, 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 then I missed the point of just being here present with you, enjoying your story and your, and your testimony. And that's, I think, probably another exhortation for the listening audience is that if, if you're hearing this and, you're, and your life is full of checkpoints, maybe take a step back and ask yourself what you're doing to get those and what's, what's more important along the way rather than just the, the line of demarcation where you get to say, you know, I have arrived. Because as soon as you arrive somewhere, there's another arrival point right beyond that <laughs> that you want to go seek anyway, and that, that could breed anxiety for sure. Yep. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's important. Like once you get to the de- destination, to enjoy it. If you get to the top of the mountain, well, Everest is as, <laughs> Everest is a different thing because you'll die if you go too long oxygen deprived. That's true. But, yeah. <laughs> but you know, but I think it's it's really important to 
when you get to your destination, it's really, what did I learn the process I'm getting here? Mm-hmm. Right. And then, cause those are the lessons that eventually become universal. You know? How did I grow as a person? What, and then from that growth, what do I contribute to other people? You know, how do I lift others up? Yeah. And, and you're doing that now. You didn't, you didn't just overcome cancer brain cancer nonetheless which is just crazy to me um but now you're helping others to do the same thing to find the same success to find the same joy and and motivation i I think that's really wonderful and that's the the, who knows how far the ripple effect goes uh those people touch other people and so on and so forth and before you know you've you've lit a whole world on fire and that's it's really cool it's very special it flies in the face of all the negativity that we keep hearing elsewhere um you know, if we focus on what we're doing, then we don't have any time to get sucked into what other people are trying to do or say or, or distract from, from our mission. And I think, I think it's really, really special. Um, I, I want to be, you know, I want to honor your time. We've, we've gone over an hour here and, um, you know, I know we both have, have stuff to do, <laughs> but, um, I, I want to thank you. And, uh, what I've, it's something I've taken to doing lately on these podcasts is um, I've had, I asked the guests what's one thing they want to leave with the listening audience and feel free to wrap up. I mean, I'm just like pointing this toward the end here, but um, before we sign off, I want to make sure that you get an opportunity to say, Hey, if there's one thing I could leave with you guys, it's this. And then, uh, and then give that, that direction or that, that inspiration or that, that exhortation. Yeah. Thank you for asking that because that actually dovetails very nicely into my message for my 20th year remission date on July 20th this year. Um, so we had a, I wanted to think of something that's easy to remember that was relevant to the mission of the foundation and, you know, something that that's true you know, near and dear to my heart and it's getting super simple. Celebrate your milestones mm. because we all go through difficult times but every once in a while, it's important to reflect on our journeys to truly appreciate how far we've come. There are a lot, of, a them. lot of them. Like we, we have a lot of milestones in our lives, I think. And if you're in a constant state of celebration of those achievements, then your eyeballs are always going to be elevated toward the joyful. I, th- I think people tend to overlook that. Is, it, is that. is that been your experience? Do people overlook their milestones? Do they have to be reminded of, of how many we really have? I don't think you need to be reminded of them, but I think it's important to to live in a state of gratitude because we all, the fact that we're here right now, living and breathing, and we have an opportunity to create something, to create the life that we want, the life we imagine every single day and every single moment. But it, it, I think it is important to reflect, not not all the time, but you know, every, cause I, I do it every five years. Cause five years for me, it was okay. Five years remission, you're cured of cancer. So I, I kind of break down myself. What's the next five years look like for me? You know, when I'm, you know, after this year, <laughs> so 2025, what does that look like for me? So I'm, I'm, I'm in a transition right now. Um, you know, whether I jump on board with a, a company on corporate again, that has an amazing co- company culture. Um, I w- that's something that I would jump on. Um, or if I just continue to keep on building my own thing, that's fine as well. Um, but I am in a transition right now. So I'm either going to go deeper in this full-time speaking and, you know, consulting and coaching. Um, I'm, I'm leaving it open to possibilities. I'm not attached to the outcome. <laughs> that's pretty cool. 
That's really cool. And thanks for leaving everybody with the uh, celebrate your milestones. I, I think we all need that um, front and center because uh, there's, there's a lot of lamentation. I don't know that there's a lot of celebration going on, at least not on social media, which is why I got off social media. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you. And um, obviously my hometown heroes.org, but what, what are some other ways that people can reach out and connect and um, you know, offer their support? Yeah. So um, right now we're ha we have a campaign for the foundation called Heroes I In uh, on a local basis. It's a $40 donation. You get a passport that gives you these incredible discounts to other restaurants and pubs. Um, and that, that donation helps goes towards our scholarship pool for to award for the spring of next year. Um, there's also a VIP for a hundred dollar donation. You get a wine tumbler and a bottle of wine with it from NGNA Urban Winery. Um, but if you want to find me personally, learn more about my story, like speaking demos, go to dannyheinson.com and you can see the various topics I keynote on the other things I coach on in terms of like, um, you know, business development and sales. Um, you can find some good information there. And we will spell your name correctly on the, um, on the show notes, H E I N S O H N for those of you recording at home. But uh, thanks, man. I really, I'm, I'm glad we reconnected. And um, I think you've been a blessing to, to a lot of people. Uh, I know you've been a blessing to a lot of people. I think you've been a blessing to a lot of people in this audience though. And um, I just looked at the calendar. If you notice, I was looking at my phone. Uh, we drop our podcast typically on Mondays and uh, the 20th happens to be a Monday. So I think it would be highly appropriate if we launched this podcast on Monday, July 20th, which would celebrate your 20 year cancer-free anniversary. I love it, man. I appreciate that. And then I just had, while we're on the topic, I just had an article published in Conquer the Patient's Voice magazine. It's a national publication. Nice. Um, that's available online, so I could send you the link to that yes. article as well. Yes, please do. We'll put that in the show notes as well. All right. Well, uh, thank you to everybody for listening along on behalf of the Naga Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness family. And thanks for showing up, Danny. Appreciate it. Uh, we all wish you great mental wellness. Take care.